talk show host Rush Limbaugh is drawing fire for using the term phony soldiers. We'll look at whether it's appropriate for citizens serving in the military to verbally oppose the war. And we'll discuss some key cases the Supreme Court will be asked to decide this term. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Fortunately, there are those in the Republican Party who do understand the importance of reaching out to people of color. There are those who do understand, but he's implying there are others who do not. That's Tavis Smiley hosting a Republican presidential debate on PBS. It was at Morgan State University on Thursday. But the four front runners were absent. Romney, Thompson, Giuliani, and McCain were no-shows. Here's the former governor of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee. He's embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for our party, and I'm embarrassed for those who did not come, because there's long been a divide in this country, and it doesn't get better when we don't show up. All right, Tavis Smiley, a black man, and this was a debate around minority issues, black issues, and uh, these leading candidates didn't show up. Now, Ron Paul says he'll show up anywhere. The main reason I'm here is because I was invited, and I'm delighted that I was invited, and I'm very pleased because I go wherever I'm invited to talk about freedom. That, to me, is the most important thing, along with the emphasis on the Constitution. Now, here's Senator Sam Brownback. He is disappointed in the no-shows. I apologize for the candidates that aren't here. I think this is a disgrace that they're not here. I think it's a disgrace for our country. I think it's bad for our party, and I don't think it's good for our future. All right, this is a question we're going to be asking today on the show. Is there a disconnect between the conservative movement and black America? Is there a disconnect between the Republican Party and black America? And we're going to ask this. This show is about the Christian worldview. How is the church doing on the race question? How is your church doing on the race issue? So hold tight. Later, we're going to open the phones to talk about this. We've got an expert coming on in just a moment to talk about the Supreme Court and racial issues. What else we got, Penna? Well, also, Dr. Johnson, the left is after Rush Limbaugh. Of course, that's no big surprise. He made a comment last week. You may have heard about it, about the media bringing our uh, bringing our phony soldiers that's the words he used on television on the radio to criticize the war effort of course that statement is being twisted big time 
So the question we're going to ask today on the program is what can and should members of the military, those currently serving, and also veterans, what can they say about the war? What about uh, veterans speaking out afterwards? We're going to ask Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson. He has written two New York Times bestsellers. He'll join us later. All right. The real question is, was Rush Limbaugh talking about one phony soldier, an actual phony soldier? Who really was phony. That's right. That uh, the Democrat opponents of the war have been parading in front of the media and using his sound bites, Or was he talking about all the soldiers that might oppose the war? And was he calling them phony soldiers? We'll talk about that and uh, address this controversy later in the program. But let's go back to this racial question. The Republican candidates for president, the front runners, that is, they did not show up at the Morgan State University debate on PBS. Here's Tom Tancredo. He was there. Here's his comment. It's pleasurable and a little bit different to be in this kind of an environment with my colleagues who are here because the last time I was in an event of this nature, it was the NAACP convention, and I was the only Republican that showed up. All right. Once again, are the Republicans... Just um, taking the fact that uh, black folks are probably going to vote for the Democrat, are they taking that for granted? And what do you think about these four leading candidates? They did not show up at the debate. Well, one of the places we see racial politics played out again and again is the Supreme Court of the United States. And we've got a new term starting today. And I'm sure we're going to have uh, some racial questions coming down the pike here in the next issue of the next term of the court. Uh, But we want to know, what should we expect from this court? How will the decisions they make change your life, your school, your business, your home, your finances? With us to talk about it is Stephen Calabrese. He is co-founder of the Federalist Society. Stephen, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Stephen, tell us about this session of the court. What are the big cases? What can we expect um, to come down this term? Well, uh, the court is, uh, is really at a crossing roads at the moment. It's a court that's very much in transition. Um, the two, new, two newest members, Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito, uh, are only beginning their second full term together. And uh, the court is also at a transition point because... Um, six of the nine members are going to be over the age of 70 wow. uh, by the next uh, presidential inauguration. How so, many replacements do you think we could have in the next presidential term? I think that in the next presidential term there could easily be four replacements, wow. uh, which would be you know almost half the membership huge. of the court. So potentially uh, a huge, trans- huge change in the court and a huge change in the court's uh, membership. Um, the court this coming term has some important cases before it. Um, it has a very important case involving uh, the constitutionality of the act of Congress providing for the procedure for trying and holding the detainees at the Guantanamo base mm. in Cuba, and that will be a very important case. Um, that's an issue where in the past uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy who is often the swing justice on the court, has tended to side with the court's more liberal justices. So I think it's quite possible that there could be a ruling, possibly a 5-4 to four ruling, um, invalidating 
the process for that's being used for holding and trying the Guantanamo Bay uh, detainee. So that's uh, that's certainly one major case on the court's docket. Uh, another very important issue that is not yet on the court's docket, but will almost certainly end up on it, is uh, the constitutionality of a Washington, D.C. ordinance uh, forbidding ownership of uh, handguns. And that's a case that involves the Second Amendment and whether the Second Amendment protects an individual right to own a gun or whether it only protects a state's right to have state National Guard troops. Stephen, can I jump in here for a moment? I'm Penna Dexter. Uh, Stephen Gal- uh, Calabrese is with Absolutely. us. When uh, Can you explain to our listeners when you say that, for instance, this D.C. gun ban case is not yet on the docket, what does that mean? The court has to decide whether or not to take the case? It means that the court has to decide whether or not to take the case, but most legal observers think that it is extremely likely that the court will take the case. The reason is that the the lower court here found that the uh, D.C. ban on owning handguns was unconstitutional, and that decision conflicts with the decisions of lots and lots of other courts. In fact, almost every other court that's looked at the issue so uh, because of that conflict, uh, people, scholars think that it, it's extremely likely that the Supreme Court will take the case and resolve it this term. One other case that uh, a lot of folks hope the court will take has to do with uh, something that was overturned at the Second Circuit having to do with indecent broadcast indecency. Can you uh, talk about that one? Uh, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that case. I think it it has to do with uh, using uh, certain uh, profanity on television, and basically uh, the Second Court of Appeals voted two to one to strike down the FCC's zero-tolerance policy on that, Mm -hmm. and uh, people are hoping that the Supreme Court will take that. Well, I want to ask you... That's an issue the Court has wrestled with a lot in the last couple of years, and the Court uh, court has uh, tended to be very absolutist about uh, enforcing the First Amendment, and uh, very, um, unfo- and and I think it's one of the things that's made it more difficult to kind of clean up the airwaves, uh, in a way. A lot of folks uh, criticize this court. People on the left saying that uh, this court is going to the radical right with the the appointment of the two new justices, uh, Alito and Roberts. And you say that we may get four more in the next term. So uh, would you characterize this court as a, quote-unquote, conservative court? Uh, No. Uh, I think this is a court that has four justices who are committed to following the law rather than making things up. Um, I think that <laughs> Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito in their track record so far have shown that they are restrained justices. Um, they have not done anything very dramatic. They've taken a, a few small incremental steps in a couple of cases last spring, but none of those cases uh, uh, was a very dramatic one. And evidence of that is that there haven't been in any very major overrulings. Um, Justice Kennedy is uh, clearly the swing justice on the court, and uh, in the time he's been on the court, he's invalidated a number of uses of the death penalty, um, found uh, protection for gay rights in the Constitution that other justices didn't think was there, and uh, has generally compiled a record that is, if anything, more liberal than conservative. So. I think the notion that the court has moved sharply to the right 
uh, is, uh, to say the least, uh, a, a ridiculous exaggeration. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Stephen Calabrese. He's co-founder of the Federalist Society. Uh, Stephen, I want you to listen to Justice Clarence Thomas. He's giving an interview on CBS, um, 60 Minutes, and he's talking about how he was stereotyped as a black man. It's fascinating that people, there's so many people now who will make judgments based on what you look like. I'm black, so I'm supposed to think a certain way. I'm supposed to have certain opinions. I don't do that. You don't create a box and put people in and then make a lot of generalizations about them. Stephen, let me ask you this, because a lot of people do make these uh, generalizations about black folks, and particularly uh, what a black politician is supposed to be like or what a black judge should be like or stand for. What's your view of Clarence Thomas and how he's conducted himself uh, on the court, and does he show any kind of race bias, or does he is he racially blind when he sits on that court and wears that robe? I think Justice Thomas is one of the greatest justices to ever sit on the Supreme Court. Wow! Um, I think he is a superb justice. He writes very well researched and well thought out opinions. His his opinions are lengthy, scholarly. Uh, frankly, more scholarly than much of what I see my law professor colleagues publishing in law reviews. Um, I think he uh, analyzes issues with great precision and is very consistent from case to case. Um, he is not only not um, racially biased in any way or biased whatsoever, but um, it, he is an exemplary justice. I think he, he uh, very much fits in the mold of the rule of law. And I think well, wait a minute. We've only got about 30 seconds, but I want to ask you a question. If he were a liberal justice and he were writing those kinds of scholarly articles, wouldn't he be hailed as the greatest thing he since last bread? He would be hailed as uh, one of the greatest justices in our <laughs> history, and he would be all over the papers. He would receive honorary degrees from every law school and yeah. university in the country. Yeah. And it's a crying shame he hasn't gotten that recognition. Stephen Calabresi, the Federalist Society, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. All right, folks, when we come back, Rush Limbaugh is being attacked because he called someone a phony soldier. Well, was this man a phony soldier? Or was Limbaugh saying that any veteran who opposes the war is a phony soldier? We'll try to figure that out when we come back. We'll take your calls, and we'll also talk more about the politics of race in America. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's Chriswell.edu. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Okay, Rush Limbaugh is on the hot seat. MSNBC has said Rush claims U.S. troops who oppose the Iraq war are, quote, phony. Now here is the discussion that Rush Limbaugh had with the caller, you be the judge. It's, it's not possible intellectually to follow these people. No, it, it's not. And, and what's really funny is they never talk to real soldiers. Uh, they, they like to pull these soldiers to come up out of the blue and stop the media. The phony but soldiers. The phony the f- soldiers. If you talk to a real soldier, they're proud to serve. They want to be over in Iraq. They understand their sacrifice, and they're willing to sacrifice for the country. They joined to be in Iraq. They a lot joined. Of well, I mean, you know where you're going these days, the last four years, if you sign up. The odds are you're going there or Afghanistan or somewhere. All right, so you heard this interview, and a caller is saying that the media goes out. They don't get these uh, real soldiers. They get people out of the blue. And Limbaugh interjects the phony soldiers, the phony soldiers. And Limbaugh clarified himself later to say he was talking about Jesse Macbeth, who was paraded on the media saying that his unit was uh, guilty of all sorts of atrocities. Well, come to find out, Mr. Macbeth didn't even finish basic training. So Limbaugh was referring to Macbeth. But Limbaugh being attacked by Keith Overman, by Chris Matthews, for categorizing any soldier against the war as a phony soldier. Not really what happened, Penna. Now with us to discuss this is Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson. He is former senior military aide to President Bill Clinton. He's written a couple of New York Times bestsellers. One of them is Dereliction of Duty. Another one, a more recent book, Reckless Disregard, How Liberal Democrats Undercut Our Military, Endanger Our Soldiers, and Jeopardize Our Security. Uh, Buzz, thank you so much for joining us. Good on, Jerry. My pleasure. How are you? Well, we're fine, uh, and we're uh, looking at uh, them going after Rush Limbaugh, the vultures out there. Now, liberals do exactly what Rush said, though. They, the point that Rush is making is that they do pull out these folks. Uh, Jesse Macbeth is one of them, uh, who are quote-unquote soldiers, and Rush is calling them phony. There are some of those phony soldiers out there, aren't there? There absolutely are, and, they, and uh, Jesse Macbeth's not the only one. There's actually been a guy named uh, Scott Bochum, or, or Beecham, whatever you want to pronounce his last name, who is fabricating all sorts of war atrocity uh, reports from his base in Iraq, which turned out to be complete fabrications, completely false. Uh, and although he was propped up in, by MoveOn.org and several of the uh, more lefty uh, websites, like the Daily Cost, as being a war hero for coming forward and, and, and bringing these things to light, which, in fact, they never occurred. And I also think Rush is pointing out in, um, that there are, some, uh, there are many veterans, not, actually not many, there are a few veterans who come back from the war and do use their anti-war stance uh, to promote their own personal political agenda. There's an organization called VoteVets.org run by a guy named uh, John Soltz who actually spent four months in Iraq. He has now become the the John Kerry of our generation, I guess, coming back from war and bad-mouthing the soldiers and trying to uh, trying to be anti-war. And he's only spent four months in Iraq. We've got friends of mine who've been in their fourth and fifth tour and spent years in Iraq. So there are a combination of phony soldiers, but also some soldiers that are trying to use their limited experience in Iraq for their own partisan agenda and like, probably for a political career down the road. 
How does this affect the folks uh, serving over in Iraq? Well, they're just, they're obviously very frustrated and they're angry. I've, like I said, I've got many friends over there, and I talk to them daily or email them daily, and they see what's going on back here. But they, they, and they just really, I mean, for these guys to come back here and, and number one, fabricate things, but number two, uh, act as if they represent the entire Army when there's you know, 2.3 million people in the Army and the Air Force and Navy and Marines. And we're talking about a handful of, uh, of anti-war folks who are using their uniform for political gain. Uh, the folks I talk to are, are just uh, disgusted with the whole situation. And, and they're really, as, there, as the caller in Russia's show pointed out, the troops that really are there for all the right reasons and are volunteering to go back are the ones the media stays away from because it doesn't tell the media story. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, portend the feet in the rock when you talk to proud Americans that are doing their job and, uh, and leading things to victory. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson, retired United States Air Force Colonel Patterson. Let me ask you this question. Uh, I think about a year or two ago, there was a reporter out in Los Angeles. He wrote for the L.A. Times, and he said, look, you can't be for the troops and against the war. I remember this. It was a very controversial statement because he was challenging his liberal colleagues to say, no more of this talk that you support the troops and you're against the war. If you're against the war, you can't be for what the troops are doing. Now, I want to kind of flip that, actually, though, and talk to you about the soldiers for a moment. If soldiers volunteer, and they, they are all volunteer soldiers. That's right. And they know that their country might call upon them. Um is is it wrong, actually, in your view, for a soldier who volunteered, and particularly anyone who volunteered in the last five years, knowing where they were going and what they were going to be doing, is it really wrong for them to come back and to criticize the war in general? I don't think it's wrong for this. Is what I have. That's a great question, Jerry. And I had this discussion with uh, this with Captain Soltz for FolkVets.org. I don't have a problem if a guy come, goes to Iraq and comes home and either resigns his commission or, or um, uh, does not re-enlist, and, and then voices his own, right. uh, his own personal opinion. But when you use your uniform, when you're still serving in active duty, that is a violation of the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's against several Department of Defense regulations and, and uh, U.S. National Code. And I think if you're still active, if you uh, want to badmouth the president and badmouth the war, then you know what? Quit. Get out of the service, get out of the uniform, because if you're using your uniform for political gain, you're wrong. And what do you think about these former generals? I mean, you're a retired officer. I've seen some former generals, uh, not long after their retirement, come on uh, as media experts uh, to criticize the president or criticize Rumsfeld or to criticize the war in general. What do you make of that? Well, there are a few of those guys. I will tell you that uh, knowing many, many retired general officers and admirals, uh, there's a heck of a lot more on the pro-war, pro-troop side, and there are of uh, the soldiers, uh, the, the generals you're seeing trotted out by MoveOn.org. If you, if you notice the names, it's the same four or five guys uh, that support these organizations, General Wesley Clark and General Batiste, uh, most notably, that support these anti-war organizations. But, you know, there's a, there's a hundred to one for every one they have. We've got a hundred that supports the war. And I have to say, very, you know, very sincerely and honestly, I am one of these pundits. Um, that does use my service, uh, my past service, uh, to promote right. my political gain, but I'm retired. And I think, you know, and I waited until I retired in 2001 to open my mouth, and I think that's what we should expect our soldiers today to do, is wait till they've, they've uh, left the service to start voicing their, their political opinion, and do not use your uniform 
while you're currently serving to promote an agenda. And let me mention again that our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Buzz Patterson, is a former aide to senior military aide to President Bill Clinton. And uh, coming out uh, pretty strongly, I would say, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, for our effort in Iraq. Now, I want you to comment because we've had uh, many other folks comment on the moveon.org ad, uh, General Betray Us. Congress has actually passed a resolution condemning that. Do you think that's where this whole critique of uh, Rush Limbaugh is coming out, sort of as a reaction yeah, to that? exactly right. And I, I have to tell you, I think it, that a lot of that was just political theater, you know, on the part of both Republicans and some of the, the Democrats. So, you know, it was, it was a despicable ad. And it even came out, I, I noticed, ironically, it came out the day before General Petraeus even reported his right. third report. So they were already trying to uh, get their ducks in a row. But, but, you know, General Petraeus obviously is not betraying the nation. He's a, a four-star general doing the best he possibly can to win the war in Iraq. And MoveOn.org is doing everything they possibly can to lose the war in Iraq. Uh, so I think the piling on a rush is, exact, is because the, the right and the Republicans, and myself included, came out in such opposition to their ad. Uh, if they had waited until General Petraeus had uh, actually given his testimony uh, and had an open ear to it, I would have been much more likely mm-hmm. to receive it open, you know, open, uh, open-handed. But for them to go ahead and put it out the day before he even even testifies, to me, just shows that just, had, just how disingenuous they are in the first place. Colonel Patterson, um, having worked with the Clintons before, what are your thoughts on the prospect of a Hillary Clinton presidency? <laughs> I can't imagine a worse possible scenario. I just cannot imagine <laughs> really? a worse possible scenario. I will why? vote for anybody. I'd vote for Bozo the Clown before I voted for Hillary Tell Clinton. Tell us why. Well, you know, I know the lady very well. I lived in the White House for two years with the, with the Clintons. I think they're both uh, very intelligent, very articulate people, but, I, uh, but I've seen them up close and personal. They're both very dishonest. I would go so far as to say that Mrs. Clinton uh, is a very vindictive, evil person. Mm. Um, and, again, uh, this is a person that uh, was by her side for two years, and I, I just don't think we want her... What is the nation? I think we can do much better than that, and I think our troops deserve, certainly deserve much better than her as our commander-in-chief. Well, final question, Colonel Patterson. You know, a lot of Americans are a little discouraged about Iraq or the lack of progress, and they're getting barraged by all these media messages, which I think probably are unbalanced for the most part. But uh, just in 30 seconds to a minute, would you give your thoughts on Iraq and sing that through? Well, yes, I think, well, number one, let me tell you, that having been there, um, it, the, uh, when what I saw uh, last summer compared to what's happening right now is night and day, again, talking to my friends, uh, the, the success of the surge is undeniable. It is black and white. It is the places I was not allowed to go last year. The Al-Anbar Al- provinces now are really wide open, safe. Uh, the, the tea shops are open again. The restaurants are open again. Uh, General Petraeus is doing a tremendous job, and our troops are as well, a tremendous job. That being said, I think we're going to be in Iraq for a long time, and I hope we are, because Iraq is not the end of the war. Iraq is a battlefield, the theater in the greater war on terror. And you can see that we've got some rumblings across the border in Iran who are, who are fighting a de facto war within Iraq and also Syria. So I hope we're in Iraq for a long time. I hope it's under better conditions than our guys have had to face in the last couple of years. But I see it's being there for at least 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Lieutenant Colonel Robert Buzz Patterson has written the book Reckless Disregard, How Liberal Democrats Undercut Our Military, Endanger Our Soldiers, and Jeopardize Our Security. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, folks. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, folks. When we come back, you can sound off. The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. What do you think of this whole controversy about these soldiers, these phony soldiers? Mr. Beecham. And um, Mr. Macbeth, 
who claimed to serve, claimed to see atrocities, but they really didn't. And um, also, we're going to talk about the question of race, race and the Republican Party, race and your church. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right, welcome back. We've been talking about the phony soldiers and the question of race and the Republican Party. We've opened up the lines, 800-881-9270. We've got callers on now. Let's go straight to Carla in Granbury. Carla, thank you for calling. Thank you for holding. I think we'll move on to Stan in Arlington. Stan, what's your view, Stan? Yes, regarding the uh, Republican candidates who opted not to show up, or most of them anyway. How does that uh, make you the, feel? Uh, Morgan State University. Um, you know, I'm not a political scholar or anything like that, but I think I have some common sense. And I think in politics, you understand, you cater to your base, okay, and, and you don't do anything that's going to disrupt or, you know, upset the base. And let's be, let's be honest here, the Republican Party historically, well, in recent history, their base is not African-American. Um, so, you know, to, to really expect that, you know, really any Republican candidate or a majority of them are going to be showing up at, you know, Morgan State University, a predominantly black school, is kind of uh, not, you know, living in the real world. Now, I would like to mention that if you go back further in history, yes, a lot of people don't realize this, but post-Reconstruction, okay, if you were African-American, you couldn't even register Democrat because the Democratic Party was uh, behind the, the uh, KKK. In the South, absolutely. Uh, my grandfather was a registered Republican back in, uh, you know, the, the early 1900s. Are you black, um, Stan? Yes, I am. And, and uh, I have voted Republican the last you know, three or four elections. Wow. Um, but I have voted Democrat as well. So I think, you know, I'm kind of talking about a couple of things, but yes. uh, historically, you know, the Republican Party has been... Uh, Lincoln. Well, Lincoln well, was a Republican. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. So, you know, uh, the Republican Party historically has been, you know, for lack of a better word, pro-black. When what I mean is they have been the, the party historically that is, that is uh, you know, held the moral high ground. Now, Stan, uh, let me ask you this uh, question, Stan. Human beings and all that stuff. Yeah, Stan, and, let me ask you a question. What yeah. do you think the Republicans ought to do to rebuild the bridge... Uh, to the black community? Um, what I think they need to do is, first of all, target uh, evangelical black churches, yes. because I tell you, there are more African Americans like myself than you would think that are right in line with an average, uh, you know, Anglo evangelical pro business um, person uh, that the Republican uh, Party caters to. I think they miss out on that. Also, I think the Republican Party needs to target um, more, um, you know, African American business people who are, you know, fiscally conservative and who have the same values as, uh, you know, typical uh, Republican constituents. Hey, that's good advice, Stan. We got to go. I want to thank you for that call. Very interesting call, Stan. 
from Arlington. You know, some black leaders have risen up recently that uh, really talk about the harm that has been done to the African-American community by the welfare system, by affirmative action. For instance, Clarence Thomas, who's been speaking out on his new book, also Harry Jackson, who we've had on this program, and even Bill Cosby, uh, and also Star Parker and others, some black leaders that are coming up now and making some real common sense on these issues, and it's good to see this. Yeah. Well, we're asking the question... How is the Republican Party doing with the black community? There was a debate at um, Morgan State University hosted by black commentator Tavis Smiley. But uh, the four front runners from the Republican Party did not show up. And it just fed into the stereotype that the Republicans are not Mm -hmm. interested really in the black Mm -hmm. vote. Now, here's Clarence Thomas. He is a Supreme Court justice. He's a black man. He is a conservative, and he's being interviewed on 60 Minutes about race. Oh, obviously I do. Come on. You know, the, but it's none of their business. How much does Justice Scalia care about Italians? Did you ask him that? Did anybody ever ask him? Give me a break. Do I help people? Absolutely. Do I help, love helping black people? Absolutely, and I do. But do I like helping all people? Yes. In particular, I like helping people who are disadvantaged. Is disadvantaged the exclusive, exclusive province of blacks? No. All right, that's Justice Clarence Thomas. He was asked if he cared about blacks, and it was sort of a, you know, you're so conservative, you're on the court, and you made it here as a black man, but do you really care about the blacks? And he says, well, of course I do, but it's none of your business. Would you ask this question of Alito? Does he care about Italians? And it does show, I think, that there's a double standard when it comes to race politics. That is, uh, Clarence Thomas is a, is a black man who made it to the Supreme Court, but because he's a conservative, it doesn't count. It doesn't count that the Republicans appointed him, even though he's black, because he's a, he's a conservative black man. What they wanted was a liberal black man, and it plays into a stereotype, which uh, unfortunately might have been reinforced at this debate, where uh, four of the leading Republican candidates did not show up. Now, Duncan Hunter uh, said, you know, He's not going to pile on and criticize the other candidates. You know, when we have family reunions and some of the family members don't show up, uh, we do talk about them. (laughs) But but I'm not going to do that. All right, Duncan Hunter was not going to criticize the other candidates. I'll tell you, Huckabee and Sam Brownback did, and they basically said they were embarrassed for the Republicans. And that's the question we want to ask to you today out there. Do you feel like the Republican Party is in a total disconnect with the average black voter out there. And why? The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. And what about your church, your church? and What about the conservative movement? Are we disconnected, really, from the average black man or woman in America? The number is 800-881-9270. Brian has been holding. Brian, thank you for calling. Uh, what's your view, Brian? Uh, yes, thank you for taking my call, Dr. Johnson. I, uh, I'm glad that... Uh, the last caller called in, and the, the conversation sort of diverted to uh, to voting because that's what my comment was with regards to. I've been watching and listening to uh, the things about General Petraeus and now Rush Limbaugh, and it's really starting to settle home how invaluable our votes are. All of this, the way I see it, is really geared toward obtaining a vote mm. because there's not really much else to to gain from these 
all this dollar, these dollars that are being spent, you know, to publicize some error or anticipated error, or some something to uh, to propagate a cause or a platform. And that's my comment. Hey, thank you, Brian. You know, when you realize that four Supreme Court justices will probably be replaced in the next cycle, you understand how important your vote for president and for Senate is in this next cycle. Probably the most important thing we can do is elect someone who will appoint the right kind of judges. You know, so often we talk about national security and the war in Iraq, and a lot of us are hoping that by the time of the election, some of this will have died down because we'll have made so much progress. But as you said, Dr. Johnson, the lasting legacy, the legacy that President Bush is leaving is uh, Alito and Roberts. That's probably his most enduring legacy, but it may not last very long if uh, four uh, Supreme Court justices are appointed by a liberal president. It would be a very short-lived legacy, wouldn't it? Well, it would be. We're right at a 5-4 court right now. Well, we've got Thomas on the line from Fort Worth. Thomas, thank you for calling. What's your view? I think we, sh- as Republicans, should be ashamed of how we're treating the black uh, person in America because we we say that we want to, to be all-inclusive in our party, but then we turn around and do things that we did last week at Oregon State University, and the front runners don't show up. I think as Republicans, uh, we need to, to check ourselves out, a gut check, basically, and that are we really, truly interested in being all-inclusive, reaching out to all parties or all members of society, and uh, really look at that and say, hey, you know, if we are, then we need to put forth the effort and make the strides towards doing that. We need to reach out, Thomas. Thank you for that call. we got Alan Keyes now. He was at the debate, and he says, don't jump to any conclusions. I think it is a little unfair to assume that they didn't show up tonight because they were sending a message of some negative kind to the, to the black community. What do you think of that, Penna? Well, uh, there was another debate that took place about two weeks ago in Florida. It was the values voters debate, and the front runners didn't show up there. That's right, they either. didn't, and that was a mostly white audience, white right. conservative evangelical audience. And they were, and that's not saying that oh, we don't care about abortion or whatever. I don't think that you'd have a Mitt Romney saying I don't care about abortion, for instance, uh, be, and you know not show up because of that. So, in a sense, they're all making priorities with regard to maybe how much media coverage this event's going to get or whatever and fitting it into their schedules. So it may not have been a slam, but I think it would have been wise uh, on their parts if they had all yeah. shown up. It'd be that better to go debate. to this debate and skip one of the other debates yeah. if they were going to pick one to miss. Henry on the line from Fort Worth. Henry, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view? Yes. Um, as far as the Republicans not showing up to the, the black debate, um, I think it's interesting that so many of the second-line candidates did, and I think black people are going to take something away from that. I'm black myself, and I was surprised to see so many did show up. As for the front-runners, they may have not intended to send a message, but uh, the media is going to put the message out yeah. there that they don't really care, and that's what's going to be taken away from this. Yeah, considering our nation's history, uh, these politicians ought to know that they really need to try to outreach. Now, here's Governor Mike Huckabee former governor of uh, Arkansas, and he says he would want to make the criminal justice system equal for everyone. So that you don't have a different sentence for a 17-year-old kid caught with a lid of marijuana than you do some upper-middle-class white kid who gets caught with cocaine. He goes to rehab and the black kid goes to prison for 10 years. 
Okay, so Huckabee got a lot of applause there, and he was basically saying we ought to have equal treatment, equal justice for white kids and black kids, and got a lot of applause. And I think he helped himself going to that debate, speaking like that. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Penn Dexter. We'll take your calls on the race question when we come back. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. And I'm going to give the Christian worldview on race and racism. What does the Bible say? If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The nail in the coffin of my vocation was uh, in the spring of 1968 when Dr. King was assassinated and I was going back into the dorm, uh, to my dormitory, and someone said in front of me when we heard that Dr. King had been assassinated, he said, well, that's good. And that was it. That was the end of the seminary. That was the end of the vocation. That was the end of, for all practical purposes, my Catholic faith. All right, that's Justice Clarence Thomas on 60 Minutes. And at one point, he was in seminary studying for ministry, but he says... When the news was announced that Kennedy had been assassinated, someone the said... King, the king had been assassinated. Uh, the king yeah. had been... King, Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Someone said, that's good. They said more than that. We bleeped that out. But he said that really damaged his view of the church, of the priesthood, mm-hmm. and of Catholic faith for him. He is a, a strong evangelical believer now, and people ought to know that. But uh, that is the history. That is the sad history of racism in America and, and actually of the church from uh, much of American history. It's not been what it ought to be. You know, something else uh, Clarence Thomas has been saying is that he is actually opposed to affirmative action. Yes. And he's saying that is because he thinks that that is because people don't think that blacks can achieve without that extra boost, without that extra help, and can't achieve things on their own. And it's actually hurt blacks. And, of course, we've had lots of debates on that. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Jeremiah in Carrollton. Hi, Jeremiah. Thanks for calling. Yeah. um, Well, actually, that kind of touched on an interesting subject for me. I heard something recently that uh, the comic was bas- comment was basically that Sunday is the most segregated day, you know, really in the day of the week. If you go to a lot of majority of large churches, there's a large white population, large black population. And it's interesting to me that when you look at politics, 
that, you know, there's been this whole talk about the religious right and, like, um, Pat Robertson and that whole movement and everything, and it, it seems like it's a majority of uh, white, you know, Caucasian Americans, whereas you have about the same amount of, uh, I guess you would call them liberal Christians who are on the black side who have social concerns about, you know, welfare and, and health care that, there's a lot of things divided in politics and even in the church um, that really aren't addressed on both sides that, like, the church isn't together when it comes to politics or when it comes to, you know, Sunday morning churches. I feel blessed that I attend a church that is pretty integrated. It's Covenant Church, and, you know, there's, you know, our staff is pretty mixed. But um, I don't know. It was, it was just interesting that it seems like the church you know, is still pretty much divided a lot of times on racial lines when it comes to politics and even when you attend church. Uh, And, you know, the social issues are bringing some blacks into this right-wing, I guess you'd say religious right uh, type of movement, because you look at the issue of marriage and even the issue of abortion, you're seeing lots of blacks joining with whites on those, and I think that's a good trend. I know in the last elections, uh, the homosexual thing and the fact that they tried to equate that to a uh, civil rights issue really got a lot of uh, uh, African-Americans come out and vote. That was, you know, something. Made, made a few of them angry. Uh, you're right, Jeremiah. Well, thanks for calling. Let's go on to Melody now. Melody, thank you for calling. Melody is off the line, and uh, sorry we missed her. We got Bob on the line from Terrell. Bob, thanks for calling. What's your view? Dr. Johnson. Christ said, go ye and make disciples of all men. He didn't say if they're white, yellow, black, or green. And also, uh, I find most of the, the blacks I speak to that are Christian and so forth, they are uh, on the uh, side of uh, President Bush and uh, so forth uh, because they liked him of his uh, Christian views and so forth. And I think it's bad that Giuliani and them that didn't show up because they need to realize that uh, the the uh, African American Americans that uh, they're able to vote too much uh, is being put on the uh, the uh, Mexican uh, Mexican illegal immigrants that are here. If you're illegally over here, you're not able to vote. If wow, he's packing a lot into this. Well, call. yes, we got it. <laughs> we got to go on, Bob. But thanks for that comment. Uh, it's very interesting. Alan Keyes, the one black candidate who showed up at the debate. And here's what he had to say about us being one nation and created equal. We have the right in our policies and in our laws to honor and respect the Creator God. And as a practical matter, I would want to see that unity, that moral understanding restored where it is most important, in the education of our young. Well, you know, the abolitionist would go back to the Declaration the first 50, 75 years of our country's history. They went back to the Declaration and said, look, We've got to be true to the Jeffersonian ideal that this is a self-evident truth that we are all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And so the abolitionist movement, the free slave movement, was rooted in the notion that God created us equal with freedom. And we want to look at the Bible for just a moment on the question of race, because if you go back to Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. And you know, if someone is a conservative, if they are a Bible-believing person, and I would say this in the South particularly, 
um, and they say, well, I believe the Bible. If they believe that Adam and Eve were literal people, they have to know and they have to believe that we all descended from Adam and Eve. In fact, Paul, in his sermon in Acts 17, addressing the people in Athens, he said of God, he has made from one blood every ethnos of men, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And so Paul believed that we all came from one blood. And that really unifies the race. But then, of course, in salvation, in salvation, Paul says over in Galatians, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so there's the answer, I think, to the race problem in the church and in America is that Christians should know we're all created equal in God's image. No matter who you are, what's your color, you have equal standing before God. You are an imager of God. You're created in His image. But, of course, we've all failed in that. We've all failed to know God, to obey God, to love God, to serve God. And that's the sin problem. We've all got a sin problem. And that's why Christ came. He died on that cross for our sins. He paid for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He was seen by hundreds of people. And you can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can be cleansed through the blood of Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, bond or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. In creation, the race is unified, but also in salvation, the race is unified. A black man, a white man, a red man, a yellow man, whatever the color, we are all brothers, we are sisters and brothers in Christ. We're a family of God together. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.